The Seahawks will officially transition into game mode for the first time in the 2022 season on Saturday when they host their first mock scrimmage at Lumen Field. What should fans be looking for? Nick Lee and I are going to break it all down on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks as always to our listeners for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're almost to our first game day, and I'm going to use air quotes with that, but the Seahawks will have their first mock game scrimmage coming up on Saturday at Lumen Field. All eyes are obviously going to be on the quarterback position, a number of rookies as well. This is a big date on the calendar, getting a chance to see the Seahawks play in some game-related situations. They're going to get to play in front of a crowd at Lumen Field, so it's an exciting day here in early August as we get gearing up for the 2022 season. We're also going to answer your questions on our weekly mailbag segment and take a look at five positional groups in our first bubble watch of the 2022 season. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. After the Seahawks take the practice field today, they'll have seven practices under their belt The eighth practice will be their first game situation. They will be partaking in their first mock game scrimmage at Lumen Field on Saturday. And Nick, this is a huge turning point in the month of August because the pads have now come out for a couple of practices. This is going to be the first chance to really see what this team looks like in a game situation. They've scrimmaged some at at practice here in these first two weeks, but we haven't seen a lot of actual game-related situations. And when you're breaking in a new quarterback and you got a bunch of rookies with a chance to play, certainly that brings up the importance for this game up a notch compared to the past several seasons. Sure, and I think this this helps the coaches as well because this is an opportunity for them to kind of get in game mode and make those decisions and and go through the reps of of uh, game time decisions um, with the new personnel, especially at quarterback, and obviously. When we're talking about what to watch for in this mock game, it, it starts with the quarterbacks. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. It's about the quarterbacks and what the fans read um, about this game or, or watch if they're there um, or if they, they can catch a glimpse of it on, on highlights of, on TV or something. They're going to declare a starter. They're going to say, oh, so-and-so, you know, should be the starter because of this and that. Um, it's going to be an overreactionary thing, I'm sure. Um, but it's it's definitely going to be there because that this is this is all that uh, – Fans have to go on for sure, um, and this is the 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 most live situation both both Geno Smith and Drew Locke have faced so far. Um, so this is probably the best data so far that that, that uh, the coaches have in in deciding who's going to start. But it obviously starts with with uh, Drew Locke and Geno Smith there. Who's going to stand out? Who's going to make the most plays, especially downfield and especially in the red zone? We'll get a little more into that. But there's an opportunity here to really make a statement. Absolutely. This is a big stepping stone in this competition. If you want to call it that to this point, Geno Smith has had pretty much all of the first team reps. That'll be one thing I'm going to be watching. Is Drew Locke going to get any opportunities to play with the first team offensive line 
and first-team skill players in this mock game because he really hasn't had that chance on the practice field for more than a handful of snaps. He's played really well, though, the last couple of practices. At least he's improved compared to what he was early in training camp. And so it feels like the time is now to start getting him some of those opportunities and truly turn this into a competition. What I'm going to be watching, which quarterback takes care of the football, that's obviously going to be a big key in this race. I want to see which quarterback can sustain drives, move the chains, and most importantly, put points on the board. You want to see which quarterback is able to lead touchdown drives. Drew Locke has been the better quarterback at that the last couple of practices, but he's been doing it against second and third team defenses. So that is your caveat there. Again, that's why I'm really curious to see if Locke gets some reps with the first team offense in this scrimmage. But uh, all eyes are going to be on those quarterbacks. Much different circumstances than Seahawks fans are used to. It's usually we're watching the backup quarterbacks to see who can win that job because we've got Russell Wilson under center. That is no longer the case. And so you're looking at who your starter is going to be. A lot is on the line. So this is a more important mock game at the quarterback position, position than there has been in a long time for the Seattle Seahawks. I think you also have to look at the pass rushers versus the offensive tackles. Because if there's another position where the Seahawks have some major question marks, those two spots, they've got some talent at those position groups. They've invested draft picks at both those position groups. But Seattle was near the bottom of the league in sacks last year, near the bottom of the league in pressure percentage. Their offensive line is going to be breaking in two new starters at the tackle positions, potentially two of them being rookies in Abe Lucas and Charles Cross. So this is that first real test for them in a game situation. Lucas has only been playing with the second teamers, but he's going to get those first team reps at some point. Jake Curhan is going to try to fend him off. So this is an important day for Curhan, the experienced vet of this group with five starts under his belt. And then you've got Cross, obviously, on the other side. Looks like he's going to be your day one starter at left tackle, but he's going to get tested. Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Nwosu, Tyreek Smith, Alton Robinson, Boye Mafe, all of those young athletic pass rushers are going to be looking to pin their ears back. And this is the closest you're going to get to actual football in a mock scrimmage. And so my eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks. And I'm also going to be watching the guys hunting down the quarterbacks and the players that are supposed to be protecting the quarterbacks. To me, those are the positions you get the most value watching this mock scrimmage. And those are the positions where if you want to build a franchise from the ground up, those, you know, quarterback, tackle, pass rusher, that's kind of where you start. And, you know, Charles Cross, I'm really excited to see where, where he's at in his development because, you know, the Seahawks have invested a lot of draft capital in, in Charles Cross. They're counting on him really to be, you know, the next Russell Okung, you know, the next insert great time, maybe not Walter Jones, that's not really fair, but, you know, just that, that franchise left tackle that they've kind of, I mean, you know, Dwayne Brown's been there too, but, um, just from the start, just as a cornerstone piece for the next decade at left tackle, can you count on Charles Cross now? That question is not going to be answered on a mock game, but you'd like to see at least a little bit of, of progression in him against the likes of, you know, Daryl Taylor, Chenna Nwosu. That will be fun to watch. Just uh, And we we both have, have just been raving about what Daryl Taylor can do this year. Chenna Nwosu, I think, is a sneaky good acquisition this year. I think he's going to produce and make fans really happy with some of the production he, he puts forward. Um, and yeah, some of the battles with the, with the pass rushers, we've, we've discussed about how Alton Robinson might be on the bubble and, you know, a guy like Tyreek Smith can, can get up and, and maybe grab that and, uh, and it, with some production and, and, and some splash plays. So you want to see, um, guys get into the quarterback, but you also don't really want to see it too often because that means the start, the tackles are struggling. It's kind of a weird scenario there. <laughs> you know, you want to, you want to be a little bit of both. You just yeah, want to be pleased with both. 
Yeah, you want to see a win some and lose some scenario with the tackles, especially, you know, the, the, the right tackle position is becoming a little bit fascinating with Jake Curhan. Yeah, the whole five starts is is still kind of has Abe Lucas, maybe not at arm's length, but, you know, kind of kind of got him there in the, in the rearview mirror just for now. But I'd love to see Abe Lucas get in there and, and show what he can do when the bullets start flying a little bit, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, the right tackle position, especially I'm not super worried about tackle left tackle right now unless, you know, he starts to cross starts to struggle. But certainly the pass rush and certainly that right tackle position, and especially if Abe Lucas can get some first team reps, it's going to be fascinating to watch. We just threw out a couple names for rookies. You got Boy Mafe, Tyreek Smith, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, all those players may be having a chance to contribute on day one. I'm really going to be watching the rookies closely, especially on the defensive side of the football. How did Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen play in their first game action for the Seahawks? And they got some reps with the ones in Wednesday's practice. And it was kind of a welcome to the league moment for Kobe Bryant going against Tyler Lockett. Lockett put him a little bit on the chopping block with his precise route running. Got open a few times, wide open, easy catches from Geno Smith. He does that to all corners, though. So nothing necessarily to be ashamed of. But how does Kobe Bryant respond to that and play in this first game action? Does he get any reps with the one? Same thing for Tariq Woolen, who has exceeded all expectations, looks much more ahead of the curve than I anticipated from a technique standpoint. Still has a long way to go. He's a developmental player, but such a freak athlete, incredible size and length. So going to be watching both of those players and seeing where they fit in. And of course, the rookie receivers, Bo Melton and Dariq Young, you're going up against a number of players that are 53-man roster worthy. Can you make yourself stand out, not just as a receiver, but as a blocker? Dariq Young did that in Wednesday's practice. Uh, are you going to be able to contribute on special teams if they have any special teams? Sometimes they do those in mock games and sometimes they don't. I'd be surprised if they do much with special teams on Saturday. But I'm going to be watching that entire rookie class, every single player, because they are all in positions where they can at least play some as a reserve. And a number of these players, they're in position to battle for a starting job, if not you know, midway through the season, potentially you know, end of the year, at whatever point. All these guys are competing for playing time, and they're in a you know a, a really ideal situation. So I'm going to be watching all those rookies, seeing how they handle this first game action, and using that term a little bit loosely. But for rookies, this is a really big deal. It is a big step up from the practices they've had so far. Yeah, we talked about last show where you know the, this draft class really could be as impact, maybe not as impactful as far as Hall of Fame you know, quarterback, Hall of Fame linebacker, but can really jumpstart a new era of Seahawks football, like a 2012 class. And, um, you know, I, I used the, the analogy of just the, the jumper cables and, and sticking it on the battery. And this is a class that can do that. When you got to tackle, you got a pass rusher, you got a couple corners and some receivers. Those are positions that really can, can make a big impact. And, and it, for me, if I had to pick, you know, your, if I go to camp or whatever, and there are, and all the position groups are split up and you can only pick one, you know, position group battle to look at, I'm looking at corners. Corners are going to be really fun to watch, and especially with these two rookies, Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. So those are the guys I really want to see just because I have high hopes for, for Kobe Bryant, especially just with, with with his competitiveness, with his ball skills, Tim Thorpe Award winner, you know, over his teammate Sauce Gardner. There's there's some expectations there when you when you have that name attached to you. And then Tariq Woolen, who's maybe not as raw and unrefined as we thought, um, getting him running around with, with some of the best receivers in the league and again, against this, uh, the Seahawks receivers group and, and live action, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, so especially on defense, I really want to also hear a bit more about Boye Mafe. 
he's been pretty quiet as far as, you know, making an impact in, in camp or in making, making plays. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'd love to have him like, oh, yeah, Boye Mafe had, you know, a sack and a half in this game or in this mock game or something like that. I'd love to have Boye Mafe make an impact. And, um, but, yeah, so especially on defense. And then, yeah, the, the Bo Melton and Derek Young, the two, the two last picks of the draft, you know, they're, I really truly think that at least one of them could make a big impact this year on offense. And um, we might see them uh, make an impact here on, on the mock game. When we return, we're going to get to your questions, our weekly mailbag segment. We've got a lot of them from the 12s on social media. Going to answer as many of them as we can here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. Now Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills, you can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As we usually do on Friday, it's time to get to our weekly mailbag segment. We got a lot of questions from you, the 12s, on social media. Going to try to answer as many as we can here in this second segment. A lot of roster-related questions, as you would expect this time of year. So, first question coming from Theron Olson tweets, How has this quarterback battle compared to the one in 2012? Well, really, this is like the ultimate comparing apples to oranges type situation because 2012, you had a rookie quarterback in Russell Wilson that was coming in, lighting it up. You had Matt Flynn who was signed to a big contract in free agency coming from green Bay. He didn't really have an incumbent. Tavares Jackson was there obviously, but he was the distant third in this quarterback competition, but you had intrigue. I can't say that there's much intrigue right now with the battle going on between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Now, maybe that changes. If Drew Locke gets some first-team reps and he continues to ascend and play better, the last couple of practices have been better for him on the field, and he's led a number of touchdown drives, then suddenly this could become a lot more intriguing than what it has been. But at this point, it really hasn't felt like a true competition with Geno Smith getting most of the first-team reps. Neither guy has done well in red zone periods, pretty much on a consistent basis. They've been struggling, and there's been plenty of turnovers. There have been a lot of misfires to DK Metcalf, both guys trying to get timing down with their star receiver. And so there's a lot of question marks here. 2012, there was some optimism. I don't know that that necessarily is being felt right now with the quarterback situation. Again, that could change if Drew Locke starts really flinging the pigskin around and he's looking good, or Geno Smith gets on a hot streak, then you know, certainly the narrative can change. We're only a week into training camp. At the same time, though, it's hard to see very many parallels between that quarterback competition in 2012, particularly with an upstart rookie like Russell Wilson leading the way, compared to this quarterback competition between two guys 
who are failed starters and they're trying to basically reset their careers in Seattle and what probably will be their last chance to be a starter in the NFL. Next question here coming from Luke Guthrie. This one's for Nick here. What are the chances we pull off a big trade? And if so, who would you like it to be? Well, it depends what you mean by big trade. (laughs) I think the chances of a big trade where it's a big upgrade on your team, you know, quarterback, like, you know, a Baker Mayfield situation or, you know, this like Jimmy Garoppolo perhaps um, are slim to none or they're pretty slim. I would say at this point, let's be honest. I think the Seahawks are, are going to be riding or dying (laughs) with Geno Smith or Drew Locke. I think it's become pretty clear with some of the opportunities that they've had with Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, Oh, thank God they didn't do that one. Um, but, you know, just, just some of the opportunities that were there that they just haven't they haven't taken t- taken advantage of. I just think that they're complacent, at least with the quarterback position right now. Um, so as far as maybe you're hinting towards a big trade at quarterback, I, I don't see that happening. And um, really to make any sort of trade to instantly upgrade this team um, around you and sacrificing draft picks, I don't see that happening either. I think that they're at the, the point now where they will keep those draft picks. And uh, especially with the quarterback class coming up next year. And if, if, if necessary, you got to keep some of those bullets in the mag, because if the Seahawks play well this year and they're not a top five pick team, they're going to want to you know, move up and get a quarterback probably. And you need some of those picks in your back pocket uh, to make a trade, to trade up. If, if the Seahawks are so fortunate to play well enough to play themselves out of a top five pick this year. So um, I don't see a big, a, a, a big trade coming. If there is a trade, it'll be, you know, player for player, or if there's a roster current situation, a player for a pick coming back to Seattle. But as far as a big, big trade, especially to upgrade your current team, I, I think that the Seahawks are kind of past that point now. Yeah, it seems like based on where the roster construction is and the fact you just moved on from Russell Wilson to Bobby Wagner, this is probably not the time where you're going to be flipping high draft picks to go out and get a proven veteran. They're not at that stage where they're one piece away. They think they're a contender. Maybe you'll see a few small trades. John Schneider likes to do those at the end of training camp, but don't expect any splash deals. Third question coming from Thomas tweets, why the hell have we not moved Damian Lewis or Phil Haynes to center? What can be done to get Haynes in the lineup? And so that last question there, you know, I tweeted about this yesterday. It's, It's kind of a sad situation if you're Phil Haynes because he finally is healthy. And he played so well in the two starts he had at both guard spots late last season. Oh, by the way, Rashad Penny went for 170 plus yards in both those games. And a big reason why was because Phil Haynes was just moving dudes off the line of scrimmage. And he was doing that in Tuesday and Wednesday's practice. He got a lot of first team reps on Wednesday playing in place of Damian Lewis, who was getting a veteran rest day. So this guy has really ascended now that he is healthy. He's playing to the level that I think all of us thought he could. He just couldn't get healthy his first two seasons. So you'd like to find a way to get him into the lineup. At the same time, Gabe Jackson showed up at camp in better shape than last year. I think he's looked pretty good so far. They've been careful with his workload, and that's what you're going to have with veteran offensive linemen that are north of 30 years old. He doesn't need to be practicing every single day. Keep him fresh for the regular season. Damian Lewis has looked pretty good too. So there's not really a spot for him unless you wanted to slide him to center. I've asked Pete Carroll about that a few times, and he's never really given an inkling that he had any interest in doing that with Phil Haynes. Lewis has started a game at center, but they've already moved him twice position-wise. I can't see them doing that and moving over center. They really think Austin Blythe can be a glue guy because of his knowledge of the scheme, his 
familiarity with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson. So he is going to be your center in week one. It's not going to be anybody else. It's not going to be Lewis. It's not going to be Haynes. It's going to be Blythe. And so there's just not a spot right now for Phil Haynes to get in the lineup, but he's one heck of a hedge to have that can play both spots at a high level. Lewis and Jackson were banged up at times last year. Jackson's coming off knee surgery. So you like having depth, and Seattle's got that in Phil Haynes, a guy that is a starter caliber player that can play both spots. Next question from Cool Hawk Fan Tweets, and this is a really good question. Off that last one for you, Nick, does Gabe Jackson have any trade value? And that really plays into the idea of getting Phil Haynes into the lineup somehow. Yeah, I mean, if you feel really good about Phil Haynes as the, as the guard of your future, sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he, he's still a very viable guard, Gabe Jackson, uh, 31 years old, I believe. And um, looking at his contract, you know, he has a, he has an option for, for 2023 season. So you have potentially two seasons of Gabe Jackson, uh, 2022 and, and the next season. So, yeah, there, there's some trade value there. Is there significant? Um, you know, the Seahawks traded a fifth-round pick for him to, to the Raiders ahead of last season. And now that he's a year older, you know, a year less in his contract, probably not going to get that back. You probably get a six or seven, probably. But if you're – if another, another reason, like I talked about with my last question, um, if, there, if there is a trade to be had, it is, you know, it's kind of with a roster crunches just to see if you can get a draft pick out of somebody. Um, Gabe Jackson, if if you feel really strongly about Phil Haynes in there with them, you lose the two guard spots, and, and Austin Blythe has, has kind of stabilized center position at least a little bit. Sure, um, that that's probably your best option. I think that I can think of to to trade a player for you know some sort of draft pick. Um, Gabe Jackson is on that list, but uh, I hate to see that though, just because the the veteran that he is, the depth that he provides, and at, at times last year he played really well. Um, yeah, he, he kind of struggled a little bit with pass, pass protection, but that could have been some of the knee issue and, and all that stuff with with uh, with him needing surgery. But um, you, you don't you don't want to sacrifice depth j- just for the sake of trading for a draft pick. Um, but especially if you you're really wanting to move one of Lewis or Haynes to center, if that's truly what something that, that happens, definitely then not. You want to keep uh, uh, Jackson in, in the lineup. But um, yeah, as far as if there's a list of players that that might become, you know, expendable and you can get a draft pick for Gabe Jackson, I think would be on that list. That's a good question, but I don't think it's likely to happen. Yeah. I don't think it's likely because of his contract. He's one of the higher cap hits on Seattle's roster. It would save them some money. If they cut him, they wouldn't really gain anything, but if you trade him, they would get some of that cap back that they could work with if they wanted to probably not going to happen. Last question here coming from Marcus. And I think that this is one hell of a question. Do you think the always compete mantra has fallen by the wayside? It doesn't feel like this camp is living up to that. I will say this, Nick. I can understand why fans are feeling this way with how the quarterback situation is playing out. It does seem like, and I haven't seen this necessarily happen a lot with quarterback competitions, but it's not unprecedented. It feels like the Seahawks are kind of putting a bone out there for Drew Locke, and and they're trying to get him to – to earn those opportunities and that Geno Smith started three games last year, played fairly well. So he is the incumbent, so to speak. It's a little different situation. Like, uh, you know, when the Patriots got rid of Tom Brady and I'm going to say got rid of it in loose terms there, but Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers, they decided to part ways. They went to Cam Newton and they had a couple of other players that were on the roster, but none of them had starting experience. They were starting the slate clean when the Lions traded Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff came back in return, so they had a different quarterback. 
that was their starter. Normally, that's how it goes. You don't have the backup, you know, unless it was a young guy. There are examples of that, but you don't normally have the backup come in and it'd be a seasoned vet like Geno Smith and be like, you know what? You're going to get a chance to be our starter now because we traded Russell Wilson. That doesn't happen often. So it is kind of a rare situation, not unprecedented. But it feels like they're looking at what Geno did last year and saying, you know the offense, so you're going to get these first-team reps. And Drew, you can get those opportunities, but we're not going to just give them to you up front. You need to earn those chances. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that approach. Maybe it ends up working for the Seahawks if Drew Locke really puts it together. Or Geno Smith, you know, he ends up just winning the job outright. And then they go in the season feeling fairly comfortable with their quarterback situation. But I do think you can see the always compete mantra at the other positions. I mean, just like a cornerback with how many guys have a chance to start in week one, how exciting that competition is. At receiver, you've got seven or eight guys competing for that third, fourth spot, maybe fifth spot on the roster that all have legitimate talent. And so those positions, you can certainly see the competition. Phil Haynes is getting those first-team reps. Jake Curran is getting first-team reps at guard and tackle. They're mixing in stone foresight. I think Lucas is going to get that opportunity. It's kind of like Locke. You're a rookie. you got to earn those opportunities to play with the first-team line. So I don't know that it's fallen by the wayside. I've seen a lot of competition out there. The quarterback situation, how they're playing that out, I can see why a fan would think that way. Uh, but – I certainly think that Pete Carroll's mantra is holding true for the most part. This has been so far a very competitive camp across the board. Let's be real. You know, the, 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 the always compete mantra is always compete unless you're the quarterback. And then it's a little bit special. It's always been that way. You know, it's not like Russell Wilson was, was all constantly trying to you know, keep his job every single camp. I mean, Obviously, he was head and shoulders above his competition. But oh no, um, Trayvon Boykin's here. Oh man, I gotta watch <laughs> my job. Yeah, it's 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 a bit different. We we all know quarterbacks get special treatments. You know, the league is designed to protect quarterbacks with penalties and and the rules and and it, it is it's no different in training camp. It's no different here. Um, so yeah, I think that they always compete. Montreux fell by the wayside a little bit in the last few years of the Russell Wilson era, and you know you've heard you know rumblings from you know the the departed. Legion of Boom guys about it, but I think it is back in a way where there's a really competitive rookie class. There's a lot of competitive positions there, the tackle position with Jake Curhan and Abe Lucas, especially quarterbacks, like you mentioned. Um, so yeah, it, for me, it's always been always competes, but the quarterbacks are special. So that's just my thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. And that's, that's really the way that it goes league wide. I don't think that this is just a Seattle issue. I mean, quarterbacks, you got to tread a bit, more carefully with that position. Although when you have two guys that have been failed starters, it's a little bit different than when you had number three under center. Up next, we're heading into this mock scrimmage game on Saturday. Going to play our first bubble watch of training camp, looking at five positional battles. Who's got the edge for a roster spotter? In some cases, the edge for a starting role. Going to be really exciting to see Nick and I debate on those five positions coming up next. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events in the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline where the game starts. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to make the Locked On NFL podcast your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league throughout training camp and the preseason. You can listen on all major podcast platforms as well as five days a week on YouTube. We've got a mock game scrimmage coming up at Lumen Field tomorrow. Going to be seeing the rookies in game action for the first time. How to Drew Locke and Geno Smith fare in their first game action in this offense. And of course, you've got your pass rushers and offensive tackles. We outlined all of those topics earlier on the show. But when you're in the middle of training camp, you've got all kinds of positional battles going on. We've talked corner in an earlier episode this week. Obviously, the quarterback situation, the right tackle position. But there are a number of other spots that are up for grabs, whether it's in the lineup or just making the roster in general. So without further ado, Nick, it's time for our first bubble watch of the 2022 training camp. And so let's get right into it here. This one isn't for a roster spot necessarily. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer probably are safe to make this football team, but only one of them can be the primary third down back. So, Nick, I must ask, who do you think is the primary third down back, DJ Dallas or Travis Homer? Yeah, two former Hurricane <laughs> teammates going at it now for a specific spot. You know, just looking at the statistics, you know, Homer has an impressive 5.9 yards per carry in his first year so far, or for, for in his career so far in limited action. Third down backs obviously need to be a bit more effective in the pass game. Uh, pass protection is not just about running the ball. Uh, Homer, 36 catches, 307 yards in his career, 8.5 yards per reception, which is pretty impressive. Dallas, not quite as effective in the run game, 38 catches, um, 244 yards, and 6.4 yards per reception in the in the passing game. So if you're looking at those, Travis Homer has the edge there. Um, it really is going to come down to who's better pass pro, I think, just just with that. That's probably the most important position, most important job of a third down back. Yeah, you got to catch the ball. Yeah, you got to be effective in space. Um, but can you protect the quarterback? Can you protect the guy where a blitz gets through? Can you pick up a blitz? Can you can you understand, you know, blocking schemes and, and who's your guy and who's left uncovered or who's left unblocked that you got to take care of? Um, so that's really going to – that's pretty much going to come down to it, I think. And, and I think a game like the, the mock game is going to be great for this. I think they both have made strides in that area, um, pass pro, but it's really going to come down to who's the better pass protector. Yeah, and I think Travis Homer takes the cake on that one. And I do think DJ Dallas has improved a lot, but Travis Homer was the best pass protecting running back coming out of his draft class, and he's been such a talented player in that aspect ever since he came into the league. He's one of the best pass protecting backs in the NFL right now, and I'm not afraid to say that. I've watched a number of backs, just the technique, his willingness to come up and stick people, his communication, understanding of the blocking schemes. I mean, he has it all. And so if that's what it's going to boil down to, Travis Homer is your third down back. I think DJ Dallas is the better runner, especially between the tackles. And he has been impressive in camp. He had a great day on Wednesday until he got kicked out of practice, but uh, had, had a really good day. And you can see the receiving skills. He used to be a receiver. So he's got the skills to be a really good third down back. I just think ultimately this is going to shift to Travis Homer just because of his pass protection skills. And there will still be opportunities potentially for Dallas to get on the field on offense. It's just, it's going to be tough with Ken Walker, the third and Rashad Penny at the top of the depth chart. If you lose out on third down duties, 
you're probably mostly going to be playing special teams. There's only so many snaps to go around. So I think Homer has the edge here, but Dallas certainly has had a good camp and, and maybe his receiving and running attributes end up weighing in his favor. I just think the pass protection prowess of Homer is going to give him the edge there. Now let's go to the defensive line. And this has been a positional battle that we've already dived into a little bit, but now that we've had a week plus of camp and we've had a chance to look at both players LJ Collier versus Miles Adams. I think these two players are competing for one roster spot. Your former first-round pick and Collier, an undrafted player, and Adams, who has been a revelation. I think this is a really close call right now. I, a lot of fans would be thinking, based on what Clint Hurd has said and what Pete Carroll said, that Collier would have a pretty significant lead here. I think this is a very tight gap between these two players. Yeah, Miles Adams really impressed last year um, in, in – in limited duty and he's really come up, come along just he's been kind of a practice squad you know turnover guy for for a few years and now i think he's maybe finding finding his niche and coming to his own a little bit in the nfl getting his sea legs under him and he could absolutely make this team I, I i truly believe that lj collier i think this defensive scheme change might save his his seahawks career i do um just with that this is kind of more of the scheme more of the concepts that really turned him into a first round pick at tcu um, he's gonna he's gonna be in in a similar role, and he's he can he's got that versatility. I know Miles Adams has a bit of that too, but um, I, I just think with the scheme change, uh, uh, LJ Collier is gonna be put in a better position to succeed more than he has the last few years. Before training camp, I had Miles Adams picked as my winner in this competition. I'm going to swing back to Collier, but it's just by the narrowest of margins. I, I kind of feel like Two-Face right now. I want to flip a coin. And it's crazy I'm saying that when we're talking about a former first-round pick against an undrafted player. But that's where we are at. I still haven't seen anything from Collier on the practice field that just suggests to me he's really figured it out. That has not happened. He's been fine. There's been a few pressures from the interior. But Miles Adams has played some snaps with the first team in a few practices. Now, Al Woods was sitting in those practices, obviously. But he's played some no's. He's played the three-tech role. He looks like he can handle playing in a 3-4 defense. And he's such a good athlete. You can use him as a penetrator as well. So I just think this is very close. But Collier's got a little bit more size working for him. And he's playing with heavy hands. I do think the scheme fits him well. So by the thinnest of margins, I'm going to stick with LJ Collier. Adams, they're hoping to stash on the practice squad again for a third season. And then he'll be available for them. But this right now could go either way as far as I'm concerned. Now, swinging back to the offense, here's another one that is for a roster spot, at least in my opinion. Maybe both these guys make the team, but I think it's much more likely it's one or the other. You've got a ton of receivers battling for spots, and these guys are at way different stages of their careers. Marquise Goodwin, now in his 30s, but still a burner running in the low 4-3s. I think he'd run in the low 4-3s if he ran the 40-yard dash. He could still fly. Bo Melton, the rookie from Rutgers, he runs in the low four fours or low four threes as well. So he's a burner. He's coming into the league. Hasn't had great quarterback play at the college level. Really was quiet until Wednesday when he caught a 40-plus yard reception from Drew Locke. So a bit of momentum for him. But you got two players with similar profiles, but one that's the experienced veteran that knows this offense. He's worked with Sanjay Law. And then you got Bo Melton, who's been quiet, but there's maybe a lot of upside there for a seventh-round pick. And here's another age-old question, do you, especially for a team like the Seahawks who are a bit in a transitional stage. Do you take the experience and the kind of the been there, done that guy? 
or do you take the guy that has, you know, who's, who has a similar skill set, but much, much more upside and a future ahead of him. And, and for now, I'm kind of leaning towards Bo Melton because of that. The, the Seahawks are not really in a position to where they're going to take, um, you know, th- they don't really need a guy like Marquise Goodwin right now, 2022, to be his best. I mean, obviously it'd be nice to compete, but I, I just am in the belief that the Seahawks aren't going to be um, in the playoffs. And so if you want, if you're, if you're kind of in that transitional stage, I opt for the younger, more upside guy because if they have similar similar skill skim, similar skill sets, um, but it's it, you know, it's the difference of age and experience. I think you go with the younger guy because the Seahawks really are in that in that position right now where you know they're 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 going they have it they're in a transitional phase. They are thinking about the future. They're thinking about upside. And Bo Melton is that guy. I know Marquise Goodwin is just a few years removed from flirting with a thousand yards with this with the San Francisco 49ers, which is super impressive. And the speeds there, it's really close. Really, you're splitting hairs at this point. Um, Bo Melton, yeah, had that nice, nice big bomb catch from from Drew Locke, and Marquise Goodwin's had a pretty good, decent camp too. Um, but if if I have to pick one, you know, it, it, it's one or the other. For my reasons, I'm going to go Bo Melton just with the upside. And it just you're trying to build a future, a foundation on, in this franchise for moving forward with your supposed new quarterback next year. And I think Bo Melton could be a part of that more so than Marquise Goodwin. I would typically agree with you because especially a team like the Seahawks that's going into a major transition period here, they they're undergoing a youth movement. You know, Bo Melton could be part of that, and he does have the speed and the vertical threat capabilities that the Seahawks love, but. Marquise Goodwin has more speed. I think he's faster than Bo Melton, even at this stage of his career. And the experience he's had playing in Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is going to have some similarities to what you're going to see Shane Waldron doing in Seattle, that relationship with Sanjay Law, and just the leadership that he brings. This guy is a great locker room guy. I think that Marquise Goodwin's the pick now. And really what weighs into this decision for me I think you can sneak receivers to the practice squad pretty easy these days just because there's such a saturation of talent there. This is a guy that fell to the seventh round, and I think a lot of people thought Melton was going to get picked earlier, but he's a seventh-round pick. I I think it's going to be very unlikely that the Seahawks cut him, that he's going to get plucked up by another team off waivers unless he just has a monster preseason. If that happens, they're going to keep it. But based on what I've seen so far, Goodwin, to me, has had the better training camp. And I think the Seahawks will actually lean towards experience just because they believe we can keep Bo Melton on our practice squad, hopefully, and develop him, and then he can still be a factor down the line. Going to the secondary, players that are going to get to match up against Goodwin and Melton, potentially both those guys have ran some routes out of the slot. Our slot cornerback position, we've got three players, Justin Coleman, Ugo Amadi, Marquise Blair. I think you and I would agree that all three of those players are probably safe to be on the roster. They've all got special teams value. Coleman's been a great slot for a number of years. Is still looking like he's got it. Had a good season for the Miami Dolphins last year. Blair's versatility, Amadi's versatility, different skill sets. But all three of these guys bring different things to the table. But if you had to make a pick right now, who is going to get most of the slot reps? Which one do you think it would be? I think Justin Coleman's the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. I, I really do with with the veteran experience he's got. And also just he's he he's been pretty much the, the best slot corner right now. I mean, he's he's he was the best slot corner the Seahawks had a few years ago when he was in Seattle, and he's still um shown that yeah, he's he's absolutely got it. And it's not, yeah, like you mentioned, this is not a 
Justin Coleman's a slot guy. Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair get the axe. It's not necessarily that way because Amadi and Blair are both very versatile. They can play safety. Um, they, they can move around the defense. And I think that's to their advantage to stay on this roster. Marquise Blair, we've seen. It's, it's maddening. To just the, the, the ability, the versatility is there. He just can't stay healthy. And I'm a huge fan of what he can do um, in multiple spots, safety, slot corner, you name it. He's just a fierce tackler. Um, he's, he's pretty quick and agile. So um, Ugo Amadi, um, you know, he's, he's got that, that, that speed that you want, and um, he's pretty aggressive as well. So I think Justin Coleman is the leader in the clubhouse, but that's, that's no slight on the other two guys. They're, they're versatile. They can get the job done when needed, but they might be needed elsewhere, you know, with maybe uh, that's a, a third safety or how, what have you. Um, there's, there's some use for them still, but Justin Coleman should be the leader. I'm going to go with Blair for this just because I think he's going to get the most snaps. If he can stay healthy, that's the big caveat here. I don't know that we're going to see Seattle use traditional slots very much. It might happen in some games where you're going to see more of Justin Coleman, but Sean Desai, his influence on this scheme. I have a feeling that he's going to do whatever he can to get three safeties on the field. I've seen a lot of that in training camp so far. I've seen four safety defenses. They've been playing some dime on the field with Jamal Adams up like a linebacker. So they're doing all kinds of tinkering with how they can get as many of those safeties on the field as they can. And that's such a deep position group that you want to take advantage of that. So you're going to have that big nickel, that big slot, or even a big dime. You're going to have Marquise Blair out there on the field. They want him, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, playing together. Maybe mix Ryan Neal in or Josh Jones as well. But they are wanting those safeties on the field. That's a big part of Sean Desai's uh, philosophy. He likes to get those safeties on the field and do some creative things with them. So I think if you're looking from a snap perspective, Marquise Blair is going to be on the field more. If you're looking pure slot, Justin Coleman is going to be the one that's got the edge in that regard. So I think both of them will play plenty of snaps. I just think Marquise Blair, they're going to find a lot of different ways to utilize him as long as he can stay healthy. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're streaming video form five days a week on YouTube. When we return on Saturday, going to have our first post-game podcast of the season, post-mock scrimmage podcast. Going to have some hot takes coming away from that first game action. Who's hot? Who's not? And much more. Hope you'll be listening in. We'll be rolling live after the scrimmage at Lumen Field. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.